For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, Two Houses and the New Testament. This is part seven of the series. Now, Yeshua goes on and teaches in Matthew chapter five in verse 14 and 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. The nation of Israel is called to be a light of the world. In the Sanchino, Midrash Rabbah, volume 9, page 38, it says, Israel are light to the world, as it says, and the nations shall walk in your light. And that is from Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world, that a city that is sit on a hill cannot be hid. Well, Jerusalem is a city surrounded by mountains. Psalm 125 in verse 2. And as the mountain are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forevermore. Yeshua then taught the multitudes that they are the light of the world. So he's teaching them that they are to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah because Yeshua is the light of the world, but the people that follow him are to be light by believing in Yeshua and by following his Torah because the Torah is light. And by being that light, to the world and following Yeshua. He is the bridegroom and we are his bride. And the marriage between the bridegroom and the bride takes place in Jerusalem. And so therefore Jerusalem is called the light of the world because it comes from the characteristics of the people who live and are associated with Jerusalem. And that is those that believe in Yeshua and follow his Torah. That is why Yeshua taught in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, you are the light the world and that a city that is set on a hill. That's referring to Jerusalem literally, but it refers to the people who believe in Yeshua and who follow his Torah. They are likened unto Mount Zion because it says in Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 16 that Zion is a term that refers to the people of the God of Israel. As it says at the end of Isaiah chapter 51 verse 16, say unto Zion, you are my people. Now you are the light of the world. The Torah is light. Proverbs in chapter 4 and verse 18. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more under the perfect day. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the Torah is light. So when you are the light of the world, you're walking in the light. You're following the Torah. And then 
in John, in chapter 12, in verse 35, Yeshua taught, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. While you have light, believe in the light that you may be children of the light. Believe in the Messiah that you may be children of the light. That you are children who are followers of the Messiah. And you shine forth his light to a dark world by following his Torah. So that's why Yeshua taught in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, Given that Yeshua is addressing the multitudes and on the so level, the deeper understanding of who Yeshua is teaching and what he's teaching them, that the multitudes represent the northern kingdom scattered into the nations of the world. And the northern kingdom, historically, as is recorded in Hosea chapter 8, and verses 11 and 12, calls the Torah a strange thing. Because Ephraim has made many altars to sin, altars shall be made to him to sin. I've written to him, that is Ephraim, the great things of my Torah, but they were counted as a strange thing. Where the King James translates a strange thing, the Hebrew word there is one that commits adultery. That Ephraim looks at the Torah like it's something that he shouldn't touch or go near because it's like committing adultery. Yeshua addressing the multitudes, which once again, while he's speaking to a literal large number of people and the deeper meaning he's speaking to Ephraim in the nations who calls the Torah a strange thing. So he is now saying to the multitudes, do not even think that I've come to destroy the Torah or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And then he goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, whosoever therefore will break one of the least commandments and teach men so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever will do the commandments and teach them, the same will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew in chapter 5, Yeshua goes on to teach in Matthew chapter 5 in verse 20, for I say unto you that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, how does your righteousness, which remember we looked at earlier, and righteousness was referring to the way in which you follow the Torah, that Yeshua is teaching that the way in which you follow the Torah must exceed the way that the scribes and the Pharisees are seeking to follow the Torah. Well, who are the scribes and the Pharisees and how do they follow the Torah? Well, the way that they follow the Torah is they believe that at Mount Sinai there was not only the written Torah given, but the oral Torah was given, and they seek to follow the written Torah through the interpretation and understanding as given by the oral Torah, and they see that the oral Torah supersedes the written Torah. In contrast to this, Yeshua, he He's teaching Torah from the mountain to the multitudes. Yeshua is the lawgiver and he's exhorting the multitudes to follow his Torah teachings because he's the lawgiver. It says in James chapter 4 verse 12, there's one lawgiver that is able to save. So in understanding the background of who are the scribes and the Pharisees and the way in which they follow the Torah, which the multitudes righteousness must exceed, let's look at what we're told from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia 
Wikipedia regarding the ancient Pharisees. The Pharisees, from the Hebrew parashim, from parash, meaning to separate, were depending on the time, a political party, a social movement, and a school of thought among Jews that flourished during the Second Temple era. That is from 536 before the Common Era to the year 70 in the Common Era or AD. After the destruction of the Second Temple, Pharisaic Judaism came to be known as Rabbinic Judaism and then simply as Judaism. The Pharisees were an ancient sect of Judaism. They existed during the time of Rabbis Hillel the Elder and Shammai and during the time of Jesus. They are the direct predecessor to what eventually became known as Rabbinic Judaism. In contrast to other Jewish groups of the time, such as the Sadducees, the Pharisees held that the books of the Tanakh, that is, the Hebrew Bible or the written Torah, has always been transmitted in parallel with an oral tradition. They pointed as proof to the text of the Torah itself, where they say many words were left undefined and many procedures mentioned without explanation or instruction. The readers assumed to be familiar with the details from other sources. This parallel set of material was originally transmitted orally and came to be known as the oral law. By the year 200 AD, much of this material was edited together into the Mishnah, the core document of rabbinic Judaism. In the art scroll of Genesis and the introduction on page 41, it is explained that the rabbis believe that the oral law was taught in its entirety to Moses during his 40 days and 40 nights at Mount Sinai. In the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 6, page 736, we also can see that the rabbis teach and believe that the oral law or the Talmud was given at Mount Sinai. They were all given to Moses on Sinai and they contained statutes and ordinances, Torah, Mishnah, Talmud, and Haggadah. Then the rabbis teach that the Mishnah is greater than written scripture. From the Sinchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 6, page 613, the Mishnah, which is greater than scripture. From the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 9, page 32, we can further see this. And they give an example that the injunctions or the teachings of the scribes of the rabbis are more beloved than those of the written Torah given by Moses. And the example that they give is, if a man says there is no command to put on phylacteries, thus transgressing a precept of the written Torah, the written Torah does not subject him to a penalty. But if he says there are five components in the phylacteries, thus transgressing the injunction of the scribes or the rabbis, he is subject to a penalty according to the rabbis. Now the rabbis teach that you should follow them even if they say right is left and left is right. From the Sichino Midrash Rabbah, volume 9, page 33. The words of the scribes or the Pharisees, as it is written, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 11, according to the Torah which they shall teach you. It does not say which the Torah shall teach you, but which they shall teach you. Nor does it say according to the judgment which it shall tell you, but which they shall tell you. You shall not turn aside from the sentence which they shall declare unto you to the right hand nor to the left. If they tell you that the right hand is right and the left hand is left, then you listen to them. And even if they tell you that the right hand is left and the left hand is right, you are still to listen to them. So this is the background and the doctrine of the Pharisees of which Yeshua is referring to in Matthew in chapter 5 verse 20 where he's telling the multitude that their righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, according to rabbinic Judaism or the oral law teaching, washing your hands is required before you eat. And if you don't, it is regarded as if you are 
are sinning. In the Torah Anthology, volume 17, page 32, is where this is explained. Ritual washing of hands before a meal containing bread is mandatory, even if one's hands are spotless or immaculate. In the Talmud, in Barahot 19a, they give an example where you could be excommunicated from the community of Judaism for not washing your hands. Here in the Talmud, in Barahut 19a, it says, Rabbi Joshua, son of Levi, further said, in 24 places, we find that the Beit Din, that is the rabbinical court, inflicted excommunication for an insult to a teacher, and they are all recorded in the Mishnah. Rabbi Eliezer asked him where. He replied, well, see if you can find them. So he went, and he examined, and he found three cases. One of a scholar who threw contempt on the washing of the hands, another of one who made derogatory remarks about scholars after their deaths, and a third of one who made himself too familiar towards heaven. In Barahot 19a, it was Eleazar, son of Hanak, who raised doubts about the washing the hands. And when he died, the Beit Din, or the rabbinical court, sent and had a large stone placed on his coffin to teach you that if a man is excommunicated and dies in his excommunication, the Beit Din, or the rabbinical court, stones his coffin, or has no regard for him. Now, this is the background to understand the event here that takes place in Luke chapter 11, verses 37-39, where Yeshua is having a meal with a Pharisee. And as he spake, that is Yeshua, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and sat down to meet, or he sat down to eat with him. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Why did he marvel? Because according to oral Torah, you must wash your hands before you eat. And this Pharisee was believing, assuming that Yeshua followed the same Torah that he was seeking to follow. So he marveled that he didn't wash his hands before he ate. Well, Yeshua used that opportunity to teach that it's not what we do externally that is most important, that is the washing of hands, but how things are spiritually, internally, that is with the condition of our heart. Now, the external should remind us of how we are to live our lives spiritually. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 39, the Lord said to him, Now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. So this is the background to understand what Yeshua is teaching the multitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, when he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness, meaning the way in which you follow the Torah, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, which they do it according to the oral law, that the multitudes, which on a deeper meaning is a reference to Ephraim scattered the nations, that when Ephraim returns to the Torah, believes that Yeshua is the Messiah, that the way in which they follow the Torah must exceed how the scribes and the Pharisees are doing it, which means they need to follow the Torah of Yeshua, who is the lawgiver, rather than following the Torah of the scribes and the Pharisees, which is the oral Torah. Now, in Exodus, in chapter 20 verse 13, it says you shall not kill. This is one of the Ten Commandments. And in the chapter on the giving of the Ten Commandments, which is Exodus in chapter 20, it's followed by Exodus in chapter 21. And here in Exodus chapter 21 is a teaching about how you be a bondservant. And the ultimate calling of a believer in the God of Israel who believes that Yeshua is the Messiah is to be a bondservant of his. And so Exodus chapter 21 gives us some information regarding this. Now, in Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 and 2 and verses 5 and 6, it is written, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. 
If you buy a Hebrew servant, six years shall he serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and shall also bring him to the door, and unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, when Paul writes his letters, he often addresses them as he is a servant or a bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah. An example of this is in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant or a bondservant of Yeshua HaMashiach. And then the book of Revelation wasn't just written to everybody. The book of Revelation was specifically written to the bondservants of Yeshua HaMashiach. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, says the revelation of Yeshua HaMashiach, which God gave unto him to show his servants or his bondservants things which must shortly come to pass. So Yeshua is teaching here on the Sermon of the Mount to the multitudes how they can be bondservants to Yeshua. And in Exodus in chapter 21 verse 12 it says, He that smites a man so he die shall surely be put to death. Now we go to Matthew in chapter 5 and Yeshua now is referring back to these scriptures in Exodus which we read and he says, You've heard that it was said by them of old time you shall not kill. I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Yeshua is going and he's explaining the deeper meaning of what it means to not kill. He's going beyond the letter of the Torah. He says that killing comes forth from first having anger in your heart. And then he says in Matthew in chapter 5 verse 23 and 24, therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has ought against you. Now if he's speaking to the multitudes and the multitudes is a reference to Ephraim scattered into the nations at the sowed level or the deeper meaning, then who's the brother that Yeshua is speaking of? It would be Judah. It says, leave there your gift before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. So Yeshua is teaching Ephraim to be reconciled to his brother Judah and then come and offer your gift. Going back to Exodus chapter 20, it says, you shall not commit adultery. Well, the northern kingdom who Yeshua is addressing, that is Ephraim and the nations, at the sowed level or the deeper level, was given a bill of divorce in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8, as it is written. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I put her away and gave her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. This is why Yeshua is teaching the multitudes, which is a reference to Ephraim scattered in the nation, regarding divorce. Matthew in chapter 5, verse 27, verses 31 and 32. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery, which is the letter of the law. It has been said, whoever shall put away his wife, let him write her a writing of divorcement. That comes from Deuteronomy in chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, commits adultery. Why is he explaining this? Because among the Pharisees, there were two separate views on divorce. One view was shared by the school of Hillel, another by the school of Shammai. In the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 5, page 299, it says, Rabbi Eliezer's view accords with that 
of Beit Shammai. That is the house of Shammai. Rabbi Eliezer with that of Beit Shammai. For Beit Shammai holds that a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found her to have committed an act of immorality, marital unfaithfulness. If he has found unseemly things in her, he cannot divorce her or just something he doesn't like. That's the meaning of finding an unseemly thing in her. Since he has not found her to have acted immorally, neither can he retain her because he has found unseemly things in her. Rabbi Joshua, however, followed Beit Hillel, the house of Hillel. For the latter, that is Beit Hillel, says that she can be divorced even if she has spilled his broth or spilled his soup. So basically, what we're being told here is that Beit Hillel, you can divorce your wife for any reason. But Beit Shammai says, no, you can only divorce if she has committed an act of immorality, marital unfaithfulness. This is the background to what we read in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 and verse 9. The Pharisees came unto him, tempting him, saying, is it lawful for a man to put his way uh, his wife for every cause? Now, this is the position that you can put away your wife for every cause is a position of Beit Hillel. So they want to know whether do you agree with Beit Shammai or Beit Hillel. And Yeshua said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. And whosoever marries her which is put away, does commit adultery. Actually, what Yeshua is explaining here is that he's in agreement with the view of Beit Shammai, which says you can only put away your wife if she is unfaithful, commits an act of immorality. Now, in the Hebrew-Greek Key Study Bible by Sparrow Zodiades and AMG Publishers, he gives a commentary about understanding what Yeshua is teaching here. And he explains a more little translation of these two very difficult verses, and that is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. And it was said, whoever dismisses his wife, let him give her a bill of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever dismisses his wife except for the reason of fornication while she is his wife commits adultery against her and whoever marries one who is unjustifiably dismissed is considered as committing adultery. So in further commentary to the question in Yeshua's response from Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 9 in the Hebrew Greek Key Study Bible, the commentary goes on to explain, it is assumed many times when these and similar verses, Matthew chapter 5 verse 32, Luke chapter 16 verse 18 are read that the one who is divorced should not remarry. However, in the situation that Jesus dealt with, the person that was put away was innocent. Jesus was addressing the issue here of a spouse divorcing a mate with the mere excuse that the desire is to be married to that particular person was gone. The only just cause for divorce is fornication. Consequently, anyone who was unjustly divorced acquired the false stigma that they were guilty of moral misconduct. For this reason, the Lord insisted that the provision in Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 1 through 4 in the Torah be adhered to. The person that unjustly dismisses an innocent mate ought to clear them of guilt by providing them with a bill of divorcement. In the case that the dismissed spouse was guilty of fornication, the Mosaic law requires that he or she be stoned. 
Well, that's going to conclude part seven of the series on the subject, Two Houses and the New Testament. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.